0: Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. For more information about our church and service times, please visit revival.me. Enjoy the message. We need to understand the power of the spirit and how we need the holy spirit working and moving in our lives now today i'm not going to be talking to you about the gifts of the spirit per se but i'm going to be talking about a work of the spirit that uh that most of us don't really hear that often um, and it's right out of the very uh, day of pentecost that we see in acts chapter 2. and now pentecost was 50 days after the resurrection it's after the passover in the Old Testament, it's celebrated. It was about the uh, taking the first fruits of the harvest, the early harvest of June, and presenting it to the Lord. And it was also celebrating how God gave the law to Moses at Mount Sinai. How many know it's fulfilled in Jesus? He promised the gift of the Spirit. In, in Luke, it says, he said, wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. So that we could testify, so that we could be a witness. It's interesting to me, though, I think we do a lot of gospel sharing without the work of the Spirit you know, and and I'm not against like intellectual, philosophical conversations. I love debate. I love, you know, a lot of the apologists that are out there, William Lane Craig, and there's a lot of brilliant minds that uh, are able to, to, you know, unpack things and understand that, you know, that God created and framed the worlds and the universe and all that stuff. But I believe that we need today to be enveloped with the power of the Spirit so we can testify to the world. And that's what I want to encourage you with this morning. Y'all ready? So in Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read uh, from the New King James Version, also known as the New King Jimmy Version. Come on, somebody. And uh, I'm going to focus on one verse, but let's start in the beginning. It says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord... In one place you know I felt that this room was in one accord during worship there's something about when our hearts are all pointed at heaven anything is possible right now anything is possible and there was an anticipation there was a hunger don't underestimate the power of hunger and I don't mean a desperation in an orphan sense that we're, you know, begging God for something, but rather we're sitting at a table that He's set with a feast, that He's invited us to come. Jesus said, come and drink of this living water, and out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. So the day of Pentecost had fully come, They were with one accord in one place. They were praying. It was a prayer meeting. Come on. There's something about the posture of prayer that positions and sustains a move of God. And I'm not talking about prayers that are religious. I'm not talking, and I'm not. I'm not trying to disrespect. I'm not talking about holding beads and going through the motions. And you know, who is raised in traditional? And I'm not against tradition. I think there's tradition that's good in the church. But as soon as it doesn't have life, we need to throw it out the window. And sometimes we think like, well, you know, I pray. My prayer life, you know, I have a prayer list and I read. Some people have, they pray, but their prayers are dead, so it's not a prayer life. We need living prayers. We need prayers that come from the heart. Prayers empowered by the Spirit. And the early church was hungry. We're talking 10 days after the ascension of Jesus, and they're waiting in the upper room. It was possibly the same upper room Jesus had washed the disciples' feet in. The same upper room, Judas was exposed as the betrayer. There was something holy about the upper room. The presence of God must have been so thick in that room. Can you imagine the God-man, God in the flesh, the greatest undercover boss episode of all history washing humans' feet? Jesus, God manifest in the flesh. This is the upper room they're in. It was a special place. And they were waiting in anticipation for the promise, the gift of the Spirit. And I know that the Holy Spirit is here and present. We're not waiting for another Pentecost. But we should position ourselves for fresh infilling and empowerment of the Spirit daily. Moment by moment. And I'm not talking about emulating a charismatic church or Pentecostalism and learned behaviors that we've learned. There are some things in the culture of charismatic stuff that we probably can do without. But what we cannot do without is the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you all with me this morning? I've got through one verse. Help me out. Jesus, help me. And suddenly, come on, say suddenly. When you position yourself in a place of hunger, God... It like permits him. It it opens up a window or a doorway, if you will, for him to move suddenly. There's something about hunger that moves the heart of God. It says suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house which they were sitting. And then it appeared to them tongues of fire and it sat upon each of them, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other languages or other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Can you say amen? Now in this moment, can you imagine they're waiting and then all of a sudden fire, wind, and then they're speaking in tongues. Now there's two different things that are, that's happening here. We're going to talk about Uh, one of these things that's happening. They're speaking in actual languages of the people. The Bible goes on to say that uh, it didn't stay in the upper room. It went out into the streets because what God does in our midst is not meant for us to try to contain it or control it, but cultivate it so it floods the earth. There's a story, Bill Johnson, if you don't know who he is, Bill Johnson is the senior leader at Bethel Church in Redding, California. A powerful man of God. I've actually been listening to his sermons since the early 2000s. They really shaped our church culture in uh, in Las Vegas. And we uh, became connected with some of the Bethel uh, graduates and students. We had teams that would come out. And we really just honored the move of God there. And he tells a story when the revival began to break out. They would be at a prayer meeting, and this roadrunner, he had never seen a roadrunner. lives in Redding, California. They're not as common there. This roadrunner would just show up outside the window of their prayer meeting. And he's just like, what in the world is happening? And it would have like a lizard in its mouth or something, and it's banging against the... And, and he didn't think anything of it, but then it kept happening. It would literally show up to every prayer meeting they had. It even showed up to the youth prayer meeting on a Wednesday night. And it was the only time it would show up. So he's like, okay, this is weird. He's like, we're already considered weird. People look at us and they're like, you know, a lot of powerful things happen, but they're eccentric. And he says, so I'm not going to tell anyone, but I'm going to tell my intercessors and my leaders, can you find out if there's prophetic significance to this roadrunner thing? To this day, he'll say it represents, you know, like the revival uh, that God brought and it started um, back then. So... A few weeks go by, this roadrunner keeps showing up at prayer meetings. He comes to the building. One of his leaders says, Bill, I'm so sorry, uh, the roadrunner died. And they're like, what? And they're thinking like, this, you mean the guy who loves our prayer meetings? The little, the little guy, the little birdie? And, and he's like, what happened? So he tells him, he's like, well, we were praying. Here comes the roadrunner. And someone walked through the door, stared him, startled him. And he ran and he tried to go out, but he hit a glass window and died. So they had a bird funeral. No, I'm kidding. I don't know if they had a bird funeral. I made that part up. Um, We had a funeral for a bird. That's an office joke. Sorry. So I'm pretty sure none of that happened. Those of you that watch The Office got that second part. So who watches The Office? Is anyone? I respect you if you watch The Office. If you don't, I respect you. I honor you, but you need to watch The Office. So the bird died and they're like, what in the world? So Bill's praying. His intercessors and leadership are like, well, maybe it represents this, this, and this. And he just didn't feel like, no, none of that was, why did this bird show up to all the prayer meetings? He's worshiping, God speaks to him. And he says, what I want to do can't be contained in a building. And if you try to contain it, it will die. And in the same way, in the book of Acts, The Spirit of God's moving empowers the people immediately it floods the streets. Now, I want to jump down to verse 11. Read verse 11 with me. There are people from all the surrounding regions. They speak different languages. And and all of a sudden, some of them are hearing their language, their mother tongue being spoken from all over the place. Actually, one of the places in verse 9, it says Elamites. Isn't that cool? The Elam Bible Fellowship. The Elamites were actually there in the Bible. That's an Elam joke. You guys are really helping out my humor this morning. But it says in verse 11, we hear them speaking in our own tongue. Look what it says, the wonderful works of God. You know, I've heard this taught and people will say, well, they were preaching the gospel to them in a foreign language. And I believe they were speaking in languages of earth, but they were also speaking in, in, uh, in languages, prayer languages, tongues of angels the Bible talks about, a heavenly language, You know, Paul teaches this, he says when you pray in the Spirit, you're speaking to God. Now, here's the thing. We've always been taught they were preaching the gospel to the people around them, but that's not what the Bible says. We've been taught that they were preaching Jesus or somehow in their language, they're hearing the gospel, but that's not what the Bible says. After being filled with the Spirit, they're going out, and they are, here's what it says, they are declaring the wonderful works of God. Now it's possible they were declaring the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. But if we look at that phrase, we can find it all throughout Scripture. A matter of fact, 12 different times in the Psalms, 12 different times, it uses that phrase, declaring the wonderful works of God. I believe it's possible they were preaching the gospel, but I think it's more probable that it was a pure river of worship that was coming out and they were hearing it nearby. I believe that the spirit of God that filled them that day actually just gave them worship and worship was coming out of their mouth and that's what drew the people in. So the scripture says, They were declaring the wonderful works of God. Maybe it was a combination of both. Maybe it was a combination of worship and the gospel. Maybe it was something like what we see in Revelation 5 verse 9. It says, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and every tongue and every people. Come on. And nation. Maybe it was a demonstration of worship, the Spirit of God demonstrated through worship that attracted those that were around. That's why they asked, what is this? They didn't know yet. And then Peter preached the first Spiritville sermon that we have on record, and he preaches the gospel to them. So if they were speaking in other tongues and it was the gospel, why did Peter have to preach the gospel to them? Maybe they weren't. I present to you that it was worship that was coming out of their mouths. Because worship, hear me, is the most pure and holy form of evangelism. Why am I telling you this? Because I believe the church is at a place, not just this church, but the body of Christ, that God is purging the church from uh, worship that is not tangible. Worship that does not lead you to encounter. I'm talking about music. I'm talking about entertainment. I'm talking about form. I'm talking about religiosity. And God wants you to know that spirit-filled worship, this day of Pentecost, let us reflect and realize that if we experience the Spirit of God, it. Pushes us into pure worship. And it's that pure worship that pours out through us. What God does in a building can't be contained in a building. And if we try to contain it, we'll kill it. God wants the worship of heaven to go on. You underestimate the power of your praise. Some of you don't realize, well, I don't want to clap my hands. When you clap your hands, literally, it it releases a sound of heaven that silences the enemy. Sometimes we don't realize there's a fragrance of worship God wants us to release that can change a region. Come on, it's prayer and worship that sustains and moves God and creates a move of God in the earth. There's something about worship in the Greek, proskuneo is the Greek word. It means to kneel, to bow, to have profound reverence, to ascribe worth. The English word worship comes from two words. It means worth ship. A ship that is worth a lot, like a yacht. No, that's not what it means. It means to ascribe worth to someone. We worship God because He's worthy worthy is the lamb who was slain he shed his blood for every nation tribe and tongue there's something about that vertical worship that pulls people in because when we encounter him and we behold his beauty everyone the world looks and like what are they gazing at what is this beautiful thing what are they worshiping what are they singing about why are they so passionate about this and the world comes up and they're like we want to see what you're beholding when they behold him they're undone just like we are Pentecost wasn't just about them preaching the gospel. It started with them being the temple of the living God and it flowing out to the streets. And it was worship. It was the sound of praise that those around heard. It was the sound of them declaring the wonderful works of God. When we ascribe worth to God, we do it for who, because of who He is and what He does. And there's so many implications to this in our life In Christianity, how many know worship isn't just the music? Worship is when when we love one another, it reflects our worship because it's pleasing to God. Worship is not just the time that we play music in the beginning part of the service. Worship is now too because our hearts are yielded because we're taking time, we're fellowshipping with God, we're listening to His Word. Matthew 6.21 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The place where your treasure is is the place you'll want to be and end up being. Worship is what positions us for a move of God. Prayer positions and sustains a move of God. The Bible can boil down to one thing from Genesis to Revelation. Worship who, what, how we worship, how we commune with God. And John chapter 4 says, the Father is seeking for worshipers to worship in spirit and in truth. See, it's in the spirit that we worship. It positions us. The Holy Spirit demonstrates worship through us and it is the most holy, pure fountain of true evangelism. You know, I've learned over the years... that I've been married, I've learned to just bow to my wife. No, I'm kidding. I've learned not to worship, but to love what she loves. I've learned to honor her. And I've learned that as I love what she loves, I learned that she loves some pretty cool things. Like how many know that my wife just, she's just got a glow about her, right? Yeah, you better say that. No, I'm just playing. Um, The other day, one of the sisters was asking her like, what, how can, do you put makeup on that just makes you glow? And she's like, "No, I just use this." And then she looked, and like a lot of her makeup, it says "glow." Like, it, I said, Rochelle, you shouldn't have said that. You should have just said, "Oh, it's the Holy Ghost." Come on, somebody, I'm just shining with the glory. But I've learned that my wife has good taste in men. Praise God. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> she has great taste for things, and I've learned, I've learned to love what she loves. One of those things is shopping. Come on, somebody who loves to shop sometimes, shop till you drop. And I've learned to shop till I drop. And it usually takes like 30 minutes and I'm done. I'm walking around. We go to a store then we go to another store. Then we go to another store. Then we go back to the same store. Then we go to all the stores in the whole entire mall. And Rochelle's like, I'm going to try one more thing. I'm like, oh God. Okay. Praise. I love you, honey. Try it on. Yeah. Buy it. Praise God. But I've learned over the years, 22 years of marriage, when I love what she loves, I've learned that I like a good discount on things. Come on even when i'm not really getting a discount it's 40 percent off but they mark it up 40 percent it's already marked up you're not even you're only getting five percent off they trick you every time but i've learned uh to to honor that gift that my wife has for fine things she started the finer things club another office joke sorry but she uh she gets good deals on stuff and she told me the other day she's like honey there's this uh, cologne thing. It, she did a perfume thing where you order a bunch of samples and you get to pick the one you like. You try them out every day. And then they give you, with a little certificate, they give you the bottle and you get a little deal. Actually, I looked it up. It's not, you don't get a discount on it. They just give you dumb little samples, little vials worth nothing. So yeah, again, duped again. <laughs> um, but she, she said, here, I'll order you the cologne because I was out of cologne. So we. Order this thing. And I'm trying all these new fragrances, right? And I'm like, it's got to be something that goes with my... Matter of fact, the other day, I put it on and I'm like, I'm sniffing my arms. And I'm like, hey. And I'm asking Sarah. I'm like, Sarah, which one? This one or this one? And we're trying... Which one? The Valentino or the YSL? And I'm like trying to figure it out. I'm like, Versace? Come on, somebody. And... Right? And so I'm over here in public, sniffing my arms. People are looking at me like I'm crazy. (laughs) But... I was trying to find the fragrance that fit me. Uh-huh. I was trying to find the fragrance that, and I w- also that didn't cost me an arm and a leg because some fragrances are really expensive. And, and I was sitting here thinking about it and I felt like the Lord says the same thing happens in worship. Yeah. We want to release the fragrance that we want to release. And God's like, wait a minute. Worship isn't about you. What about the fragrance that I want you to release to me? Amen. We make it just about music or we don't know a song so we don't we disengage from worship or, or whatever it is. There's so many different ways to look at this but there's something about understanding that there's a fragrance that God wants us to release and it's not just a fragrance that doesn't cost us. It's something like we have... We've given God a discounted fragrance and given him what we want and it becomes something that works out good for us. I remember years ago watching uh, John Wimber and he's teaching and this is one of the founders of the Vineyard Movement and John Wimber was talking about worship and he said, you know, we, this is what we say to each other. Oh man, worship was good, wasn't it? And then John's like, well, was it good for him? Worship was good. And what we're saying is we're enjoying worship, but was it good for him? Was there something about our hearts coming together in prayer and in worship and in song where it was like this pleasing fragrance to the Lord? And that's what I want. I don't want a discounted worship or a discounted fragrance. I want to bring a song I want to bring Him something that costs something. I don't want to be presumptuous or, or prideful in my worship. I want to come with reverence and humility. Bowing is not just a metaphor in prayer and in worship all throughout Scripture. It's something we should do as believers. If I look at Christianity, and I'm not talking about being religious, but you look at the Islam faith, they actually bow before their what they call their God. How many know how much more that we've encountered the true God that we should be the ones displaying a holy reverential worship worship and I don't say this to shame but here's a worthy question when is the last time you've bowed before the Lord in reverential worship because it's all throughout the scripture there's something about coming and saying God I'm here to bring you a song I'm here you're seeking for true worshipers King Uzziah in the Bible was 16 years old um, when he became king and he reigned the second longest in the Old Testament than any other king, 52 years. The only one that outdid it was Manasseh. It was 55 years. King Uzziah accomplished some amazing things. The Bible says he was just, no matter what he did, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper, key phrase. Until one day, he was so strong, he accomplished all these things, victory after victory, 52 years. Until one day, it says he... It, he was, it was pride. And he went into the temple with incense to burn on the altar of incense. Sounded like he was doing the right thing. But kings were not ordered to do that. Priests were. It was not his, even though he was zealous about it. And maybe it was pride thing, I'm the king. I'm going to do whatever I want. And Uzziah, the Bible says, he goes in to burn incense, although zealous, still irreverent, irreverent. And the, the priests were like, stop, bro. You don't know what you're doing. You're tripping. That's not what they said, but I'm paraphrasing. They tried to stop him. He got angry and immediately leprosy broke out on his forehead. You know, it was the year that King Uzziah died where Isaiah had an encounter with God and saw the Lord high and lifted up. It was the year that pride and presumption died when pride and presumption dies we have a greater revelation of jesus as we worship him king uzziah is is a perfect picture of what i'm talking about trying to release a fragrance that god hasn't called us to do god hasn't called us to release john was in the spirit on the lord's day and i'm closing with this in revelation chapter 1 and he begins to describe jesus I don't know about you, but I want to have an encounter where I see him rightly. I want to have an encounter because the day of Pentecost wasn't just about the Spirit of God coming so they could evangelize. Peter preaches, the guy who denied the Lord, right? And 3,000 people get saved. That's wonderful. But you know what it was about? It was about every single one of them having a personal encounter with God. Because you can be in the room where the presence of God is and not encounter Him because you've closed your heart off or you're holding on to something God's trying to call you to let go of. But I'm here to tell you that you need a personal encounter with Jesus. And like John, before he sees this heavenly worship, worthy is the lamb that was slain, which I believe is a perfect picture of probably what they were saying on the streets. And they said, we hear them speaking in our tongue and they're declaring the wonderful, magnificent works of God. Worthy is the lamb. Before that, he encountered the Lord and he describes him. John sees Jesus and he says that He saw someone like the Son of Man wearing a full-length robe with a golden sash over his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, white as glistening snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were gleaming like bright metal as though they were glowing in a fire. His voice was like the roar, the sound of many waters. I want to see the fire in his eyes. You see, a church that is spirit-filled is a church that demonstrates vertical worship, that we behold him and we become more like him. And as we behold him, the world is saying, what are you looking at? I want to see what this is. And when they see the fire in his eyes, they have an encounter with Jesus, the same Jesus John did. And it says, when he saw him, he fell down at his feet like a dead man. Jesus manifests his presence and power in such a way, I would call it this, it's worship that it's good as, you're good as dead. You're good as dead. You're undone. You're face down. I've had encounters with the Lord. I remember years ago, I was preaching on the Azusa Street Revival. And I said, I'm opening up the altars. In fact, I open up the altars right now if you want to come and bow and worship and you want the spirit of reverence to brand your heart again. And I was preaching on William Seymour in the Azusa Street Revival and I was talking about how racial walls were coming down in the early 1900s. Blacks and whites did not worship in the same building, but in a building marked with the manifest presence of God so tangibly, none of that mattered and William Seymour would use this language and he would talk about the desire for the presence of God and, and the fire that was branded and worship and prayer. And, and I was all merged together and there was times that they were they were in, in the presence of God together and he would say things like, when God was so present, we didn't want it to end. So we were careful about even making noise. He would even use like a metaphor and say, I, we wouldn't even... Breathe, lest we offend or grieve the Holy Spirit. Of course, this was a metaphor, but here's how he described it. He said, if someone did something out of order in this holy moment, it was like murdering the Spirit. There's something about worship. The Holy Spirit does this in us. This proskuneo where we posture, we turn towards, we have a face-to-face encounter with the Lord. We see Him and then we fall as good as dead, prostrate before Him. I opened up the altars and I began to preach. And as as I began to preach about, hey, William Seymour says the measure of revival is measured by the spirit of repentance. So it's measured by the desire that we have. There's something about breaking open our worship before the Lord. That God brands our heart. As soon as I opened the altars, began to preach one by one. People just came up to the front. They were weeping and the spirit of revival just hit them. It was like fire, fire, fire. The altar was completely flooded. The service we dismissed, but the service kept going on. We had a Pentecostal experience and it was all about worship. Pentecost isn't just about us receiving a gift to be a witness. It is that, but our witness is first displayed in worship and and his presence flowing through us. They weren't just preaching the gospel. They were declaring the wonderful works of God. And this is our first ministry, church. It's worship, being in the presence of God. I want worship moments where we are as good as dead. We're undone. And this Pentecostal Sunday, we celebrate the birthday of the church. Let's remember that it's about worship. We celebrate the gracious gift of his spirit. Remember, the first fruits belong to God. This is what it was, the Feast of Weeks in the Old Testament. I wanna close with the story of a woman who's known to this day for her extravagant worship. Matter of fact, she was from a town. Uh, There was something that happened where she, it was obvious she knew Jesus and she loved him in a way and demonstrated her worship in a way where it was marked and it's still talked about to this day. And the town that she's from, the meaning of the town, this is interesting, it, it, it had two meanings that were, it was like a paradox. In this place of extravagant worship she demonstrated, she was in a town, it was known, it was this was the name of it, it, was it meant house of fruitfulness or place of fruitfulness, but it also at the same time meant place of misery. How many know... That there's something about worship. It doesn't matter if we're on a mountaintop or we're in misery, he's still worthy of our praise. This woman demonstrated worship in such a profound way. She knew Jesus was the Lamb of God, and as she beheld him, she worshiped him extravagantly. And this woman's story is seen in Mark 14 and Matthew 26. It's the anointing at Bethany. Bethany means a place of fruitfulness. In a place of misery i want to be able to worship in misery and on mountaintops no matter what i'm going through she took costly spikenard or perfume she released a fragrance and the bible says she broke it open but the word in 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 greek is actually she broke a seal she didn't just break a jar open she broke a seal hear me there's something about when we choose to break The seal of worship, God is calling us that we begin to hear heaven's worship where we say, Worthy is the Lamb who breaks the seal and opens the scroll what am i trying to tell you i'm trying to tell you there is greater revelations of who jesus is there's greater blessings coming but it's not going to happen until we break open the seal of worship in our lives there's a prophetic significance here that when we become like mary of bethany or we become the woman of bethany and we say lord i want to break open the bible says that she broke open the oil and anointed his head this is what the bible says She anointed his head. In other stories of the gospel, we see that, you know, like Mary Magdalene anointed the feet of Jesus. In this story, she anointed his head. What does that mean? Sometimes there's face-to-feet encounters. Like where you're face down, sometimes there's face-to-face encounters. In order for her to anoint his head, she had to come to him face-to-face and anoint his head with oil. That's the worship God is stirring up on the inside of us. It was a face-to-face worship encounter. He alone is worthy to break the seal. So I want to break the seal that contains that costly worship and bring it to Him face to face. Can you say amen? amen? When we break that seal, we demonstrate reverence and, and we release a fragrance that He desires. We experience a greater revelation of Jesus. In Romans eleven thirty six, Paul says, For from Him and through Him, Jesus, and for Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the ending of Romans chapter 11. How many know there's no chapters when He wrote the letter? In Romans 12, He says, Therefore, I urge you, I after this phrase of worship, to give Him glory. He says, I plead with you to give your bodies because of all that He's done for you. And I charge you today As worshiping warriors arise, increases come to this house today. And God wants to mark you with a fresh fire of worship worshiping warriors have fallen asleep and I'm here to wake them up. I'm here to tell you to get rid of that garment of heaviness and put on a garment of praise. I'm here to tell you there's a fire of the Holy Spirit that doesn't just make you speak in tongues, but it causes you to magnify the Lord and everybody around you hears it and sees it. And I urge you to present yourself a living sacrifice. Because this is the way that we truly worship Him. This is what it says in Romans 12:1. Stand up with me. Come on, let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this Pentecost Sunday. I want you to begin to pray with me right now, would you? Come on, lift your voices. Lift your voices in prayer. Father, thank you right now for fresh fire. We're hungry, Lord. We're hungry. I'm going to open the altars up. If you want God to brand you with a fresh fire, run to this altar. Don't hesitate. Right now, run to this altar. Fresh fire of the Holy Spirit. And when you come, cry out to the Lord. Begin to pray. He's worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Come on, lift your voice to worship you. I live. Hi, Pastor Zach here at Encounter Church in Rochester, New York. Hope you were blessed by that message And we want to give you an opportunity to sow into the ministry if you'd like to. If you would, just go to revival.me and click on the button that says give. Thanks again and have a blessed, blessed day.